This podcast is a member of WGPRN, wildgamesproductions.com. Once upon a time, an argument between a sister and brother named Mary and Billy. And this argument, well, maybe it wasn't really an argument, maybe it was more of a conversation in loud voices. You know how it goes. In fact, they were sort of yelling, if you come right down to it. To tell the truth, they got to yelling so loud that their voices traveled all the way to the deepest part of the woods where there was a sylvan glade. You know what a sylvan glade is. It's a place in the woods where there's generally a lot of grass and flowers and usually one or two real neat hollow trees standing around. And elves live there. That's what makes it so special. The elves living there. Dungeons and Dragons. Satan's Game. Your children, like it or not, are attracted in their weaker years to the occult and a game like Dungeon Crawl Classics fuels their imagination and makes them feel special while drawing them deeper and deeper into the bowels of El Diablo. This afternoon, the Spellburn Podcast invites you to sit in on an actual gaming session. Observe the previously unobservable as a hidden camera takes you to the inner sanctum of Dungeon Crawl Classics. Dramatic reverb. Prepare for wizardly combat. I want to show you a trick mother showed me when you weren't around. Welcome to Spellburn, a podcast covering the Dungeon Crawl Classics role-playing game and old-school adventuring. It's time to party like it's 1974. Okay, everybody's phones off. Um, whenever you guys are ready. Yeah, everyone's nope. dogs muzzled. <laughs> I don't have. How <coughs> was that Harley's dog? I yeah. don't know. I think it was Harley's, the Hound of Heroes. That was that was Giggles Deathhammer's dog. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh yeah, I forgot. You're our winner too. You're the one who named. Oh no. No 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 no. I was running two. up with That's two, right. but sorry, sorry. Hey there, and welcome to Spellburn. I'm Judge Jim, and with me tonight are the usual suspects, my two dungeon-crawling co-hosts, Judge Job. Hi, how the hell are you, Jim? <laughs> I'm good. And Judge Jeffrey! Hey, everyone. And uh, tonight's show is one we've talked about doing for a long time amongst ourselves, but, you know, uh, sometimes you just keep tanking that invoke patron role, and that's that. But we got lucky this evening because our special guest is a renowned and prolific writer of adventures, both for Dungeon Crawl Classics RPG and many other RPGs, as well as the head wizard at Purple Duck Games. With us this evening is Daniel J. Bishop. Um, hi, thank you. Thank you for the kind words. Welcome, Daniel. Yep. Hey, Daniel, I'm good to have to be you. Here. Very glad to be here. Well, I'm, I, I've not met you, so I'm excited just to get a chance to talk to you. 
Yeah, well, lots of online interactions. Nice to put the voice to the name, at least, anyways. Well, thank you. Thank you again very much. Okay, well, let's just go straight into the tavern. And the first rule of bartending is this. GBTB. Go beyond the book. Go beyond the book. What do you have? Heineken. Death. Tavern talk. What did we all do in gaming this week? Daniel, as the guest star of the episode, would you like to go first? I run my game every Tuesday. So I ran the final bit of John Mars' A Gathering of the Marked, which is excellent. I used that as a vehicle to move into my version of Barrow Maze for those characters. So it was a lot of fun. Is this a DCC or Labyrinth Lord? or? Oh, this is this is DCC all the way. Oh, sweet, sweet. A DCC uh, Barrow Maze. You just blew my mind. DCC Barrow Maze is great. If you if you haven't picked it up, that's one of those things that's really easy to convert, and it's got a lot of material. Yeah, Barrow Maze is awesome. Have you done some tweaks to? Because we've had this question a lot with the the Mega Dungeon and how does it fit with DCC? Have you made substantial tweaks to it, or just restatting uh, the characters as you go? Very often, I do the restatting as I'm actually running the game. It's that easy to do. Yeah, that's and, what I tend to do for most. Yeah. And I've been doing an online version of that, or I did an online version of that for quite a while. And it's just great. It's a great uh, resource. Greg Gillespie's up in Canada, too. Is he Is he in Toronto? I don't know. I wasn't aware he was in Canada. Oh, I yeah. would have been able to pay less shipping. <laughs> <laughs> well, how about you, Jeffrey? What would you do in this gaming this past week? I've had my Tuesday night game, and my online game is amidst Sea Queen Escapes. They have finally located a particular object they needed to go free the queen and great session. I never rolled an attack roll during the whole session last night. And before we were done, they retreated from the dungeon scared and wanting to accomplish something else before they come back. <laughs> I can't, I can't go too far into details cause I don't want to spoil the module cause it's a new enough module and not probably not everybody knows it, but it was just, awesome because they were in they started the exploration of one of the dungeons in there they got about three rooms in and we're like you know it's not worth it someone's gonna die (laughs) we're gonna go take care of something else we'll be back (laughs) and uh they got on a boat and they headed back to uh to their uh, home city and they're gonna try to take care of something and then probably at some point later come back but uh, it was just hilarious because i mean not it wasn't like a crazy combat that went crazy it was just the whole atmosphere and everything like that that sort of got to them, and they were like, "This is not good. We need to regroup." So, uh, so it was, it was a lot of fun because that's not very often you don't even roll an attack roll, and they're retreating. So, quite cool. Hey, running away is an underappreciated old school gaming tactic. Oh, I think it's great. I think it's awesome they did it. I, I, I love it when groups realize, "Hmm, we need to reevaluate." So, I thought it was awesome they did it. Uh, just surprising that it didn't even take an attack roll to make it happen. <laughs> well, you're playing a game where. You know, things can go over your head really quick, right? Yes, and they—I think they realized that as they got about—they were about a room, about two rooms in, and they were like, they just did not like the feel of it, and they were like, you know, we'll just backtrack a bit, and they fled back to a boat, and they headed back to the the great city, which is what we're using as our uh, city base, and they headed back there, and uh, they're they're starting to do a little bit more research. 
Uh, they're going to take care of another little dilemma they have on their hands before they probably return back to try to free the Sea Queen. What, what so it was a good their, session. It was fun. What level are their characters? Um, they mainly fourth level. I uh, see. They're, they're, they're getting attached. That's that's part of it. They are, and there's. I like yeah, this guy. Yeah, they were. They are attached. They've been they had these characters for quite a while now, so they're four. Most of them are fourth. And I've ramped up the module a little bit because it's four third levels. So I've ramped it up just a little bit. Just just simple little things. It bumped ACs up a little bit, a couple extra hit points, a couple bonuses on the attacks. But it was fun. It was a good session. We had a good time. So. Hey, you don't have to explain yourself. Apparently, you bumped it up enough. I guess. I guess. I, like I guess it. I have a reputation. So. How yeah, about you, Dana? Oh, man. You know, it hasn't been that long since our last show. I haven't gotten any gaming in. All I've been doing is writing and editing. So... Yeah, just working on those uh, those monsters for the monster alphabet. Uh, that's about it, unfortunately. But hopefully next week uh, I'll really step up my, my game. Well, writing four games counts. Yeah, not when you can't talk about it. Oh, ooh, okay. <laughs> right, right. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of in the same boat as you, uh, which is Lameville. Uh, our, uh, our basic D&D campaign is scheduled for Tuesday night, too, so we should have been playing last night, and Angry Monk uh, graciously allowed us to shift the game because we had to record a Save or Die episode, which we shifted from Sunday because we had to record a Spellburn episode, and you get the idea. <laughs> but uh, I did do something really good in gaming today. I got my hands on a copy of Astonishing Swordsmen and Sorcerers of Hyperborea and opened it on Tim Cask's back porch, and we poured over it together. Oh, how do you like it? Oh, I haven't obviously had a chance to dig in and read it, but I can tell I'm going to like it because the, uh, I mean, it was 50 bucks and it's worth every penny because just the uh, production quality, the box is solid, the rule books are spiral bound. They look like the little brown rule books, except they're a uh, bigger format and they're spiral bound and they're rock solid. They'll last forever. Now, do you think that would be a good, um, like, intro box set for, for younger kids or... Uh, I'm just going to immediately judge a book by its cover and say no, because there's a scantily clad <laughs> woman right on the cover. <laughs> okay. I mean, I'm sure it's not Lamentations of the Flame Princess, but... I've had two people bu bug me this week that want to buy uh, box sets for their kids, and I was like, man, I don't know what to tell you, because, you know, it's either, like, I don't know, buy a Menser box set and pay 50 bucks for it or whatever, I, you know... I, they they all want to buy like the 4E like Redbox or something. I was like, eh, no, you don't want to do that. And it's obsolete already anyway. I mean, I know we're a DCC podcast, but the Pathfinder beginner box is pretty cool. If you're looking for a box set for someone getting in, if if unless you're looking for something specifically OSR, of course. But uh, you, you know, I can edit that out, right? Just, just, I know, <laughs> and, it's still free, and it, <laughs> that's why I said it. <laughs> hey, you know our policy. Whatever you're playing, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. Which is a good policy. But uh, I, I don't know if you can still get them easily, but the Castles and Crusades box set is pretty sweet and simple. Ooh, okay, that's another. Yeah, that would be sweet. That would be good. Okay, well, let's summon some emails. Job, God bless you. We, we, we thought we were going to be a little shy on emails, and you put out the call. And people answered, that's for sure. Yeah, I mean, we got a lot of love on the G Plus uh, community there for DCCRPG. So, yeah, we, we had uh, tapped our email well dry, and uh, we were like, oh, what are we going to do? But, uh, yeah, I just I put a little call out on G Plus in the morning, and I don't know. We I mean, we got more email than we can read. I, we got, like, 
15 emails today or something. Well, yeah, we can so- spread them out. Dieter, Dieter put on there, what are you guys going to do if you get too many emails and the emails take a whole hour to do? And I'm like, well, then we'll just have a show where you guys get to be awesome and we'll read all your emails. Our listeners are always awesome, Jim. I agree. Quite true. Our first email is from Claytonian. He writes, what are some interesting ways you've used luck? Do you let patron? Uh, well, there's a couple questions. They're short enough. I'll go ahead and read them, though. Do you let patrons overlap with gods? In other words, are there entities that are both in your games? So uh, the first one, what are some interesting ways you've used luck? Does anyone have something that sticks out for them? I think we should kick it off to the noob. Okay. Um, well, obviously, if you look at the book, it says you can burn luck to do unusual things that might occur. So I've allowed, for example, in People of the Pit, when they were using the things that move you from place to place to use luck so that he could bring his dog along with him. How did that work? He burned luck just to bring a dog? Like how, how many points did he burn? He really liked his dog. Just one. I mean, like uh, for a non-thief in any event or a non-halfling, a uh, point of luck is a big deal. So, Oh, yeah. I mean, you're making a decision to spend it, and he really, really wanted to have his dog with him. So, Yeah, I've never used luck that way. That That is interesting. I, yeah, I haven't thought host. of using it that way. That I like that. that. That is an interesting way to use it. Almost everybody in my games have always used it to just burn luck to add to rolls. That's almost been what it is in every case. And occasionally I'll let him use a luck check in place of like an agility check or something like that if, if it's just a situation that seems to merit that. But Yeah, but, you know, you get those points where you go, like, I'm not sure if it should work this way or not. But I, I'll say, well, if you want to spend a point of luck, sure. I like yeah, that. Yeah, that's cool. I, I like that. I think that could open up some possibilities. I think it's a great way to use it. I just hadn't crossed my mind to use it that way or suggest sorry. That. I said I like that when what I meant to say was I'm going to steal that. <laughs> oh, steal away. That's what it's for. And like I said, this as far as I know, that's from the guidelines in the book. It's not anything, you know, unique or anything. I'm still learning this game, and I only recently started judging. I've I've played far more than I've judged, and what I've already picked up after just a few sessions behind the screen is luck is an awful good carrot. If you hand a couple points out for, of luck for a good character decision or good character play, they start really paying attention to what they're doing. Yeah. Not not getting all money haul about it, but just, you know, once or twice a session, hey, add a point of luck to that guy. Which is good, because that also encourages them to spend the luck, which is, you know... Yeah, that's definitely the, definitely the catch-22 with luck, with any kind of hero point type system. If you don't give some away, they get so stingy with it, they're afraid to use it. You need to give enough away so they, they you know, feel comfortable enough to burn it. That's, you know, there's some cost to it, but not so much that they're afraid to do it. So I think that's a good point. Yeah, these are good uses. You know, I'm kind of lame in my use. I've just, you know, kind of done, you know, roll under your luck. You know, it's just rolling under. If you tell someone to roll under luck all the time, you're kind of discouraging them from using it. Yeah, you you are. But on the same, you know, you want to make it so it's a choice that is meaningful, right? Where there's a penalty for using it, but not so much of a penalty that there's no choice at all, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a fine line to get that, but when you get it, I think it works really well. That's good judge. Cool. That's good judging there, sir. Yeah. Oh, thank you. So, so what about patrons and and God overlap? Oh, bug bibbles. It's right in yeah. the uh, core book. Yeah. Well, you haven't heard of the cleric episode. We talked. Uh, we we kind of went in that a little bit. Yeah, yeah, I let them overlap. Of course. I mean, it like I said, it's in the book, and I don't. I let it overlap in my games. 
Well, it's clearly in the spirit of the game since it's written that way in the rule book. I mean, but, uh, you know, my, my attitude is it's your game, run it the way you want. There, there are some awfully good opportunities there, though. So, Daniel, if you, if you were if you had a you know a chaotic cleric that was you know a worshiper of Boba Big Biggles, <laughs> would you would you let them possibly cast one of the, the the you know the patron spells? Well, I actually have house rules and things like that in place for something, so possibly yes. So, it has it happened before? No. Right now, my players are very, very, very canny about what kind of deals they're making with supernatural creatures. You know, it makes you proud that they're clever to avoid making those bad deals, but it's sort of annoying in another way because, you know, fun consequences. Exactly, because the judge has got to have fun too, so sometimes the... <laughs> oh, it's fun either way. <laughs> exactly. Up, up until recently in our campaign, it was my wizard's stated life goal to never, ever have a patron. But that all changed <laughs> when, I, when I got uh, pre-gen with the King of Elfland as a patron uh, deity in one of Job's games. Now, now I'm a King of Elfland boy. That's a great patron. Really? I, I turned you, Jim? Yes. <laughs> all right. All right. Well, I think we, we played out this uh, email. Let's, let's go on to the next one. And this one is from John Hook who I believe is uh, the writer of the next uh, Age of Cthulhu adventure that's coming out, Starfall Over the Plateau of Ling. Oh, sweet. So I think it's the same guy. He can email us back if it's not him. Okay, so John writes, Hi, guys. Love the show. Keep up the great work. I'd love to hear an in-depth multi-part feature across a few episodes on the show where you guys design a custom first-level dungeon. Nothing too big. Maybe five or six cave chambers. The dungeon is populated by a race of creatures, and there is a single or maybe a pair of leaders to this troop of monsters. I'd love to hear how you, one, design the layout of the cavern dungeon, two, decide what race of monsters live there, three, decide what use purpose each room in the cavern serves the monsters, four, decide what treasures, term used loosely, are used in each room, five, and the detailed design of the leaders of the monsters and where he, she, they are in the dungeon. I think something like this would be fun and that it would help demystify the task of making a unique scenario in DCC that some game masters may be wrestling with. Thanks, John. Well, first off, John, thanks for your, your comments. That's definitely a, a cool idea. I think we, you know, we've got a lot of positive feedback from people about, you know, some of the other kind of design segments that we've done on the show. Yeah. What do you think, Jim? I don't know, man. It was all we could do to design one monster live on the air. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mean to be a Debbie Downer. But you did a lot of owl bears. Maybe, maybe, maybe with a little pre-planning, um, some rehearsal, and Michael Curtis. Yeah, we, we could get some, some, some rock stars like Daniel Bishop and Michael Curtis on the show and roundtable that thing. Harley's quick, man. We, uh, you just have to read him that email, and he'd have a whole adventure written that nobody paid for, like in five minutes. Sure, <laughs> right. that's a good plan. Yeah, both Harley and Michael were quick. It was all like, hey, this is easy, and then we tried to do it, and it's like, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's, in, let's, in this let's... case, for like caves, you could get uh, like one of the Dyson's Delves or one of the things where there's a pre-made map, if you had permission. Yeah, and then just start populating from there. Keep going, um, Daniel. Maybe you can answer the email live on the air right now. Yeah, Daniel, this is the show where we make our guests work. 
<laughs> oh. oh, well, I know he said that. Um, no, yeah. but uh, and then there's in the book you have tables for making humanoids unique. So starting from there, you can get a good idea of the kind of creature that you want. All right, are we all in? Yeah. Okay, so one of these next episodes, John, we're gonna grant your wish. All right, sounds good. Yeah, let's do it. I love that stuff, so I'm I'm definitely down. Okay, our uh, last email for this evening is from Ian Forbes, who says, Hey, Spell Burnouts. Great show. Been listening since episode one. Picked up DCC in the summer and have been gathering some friends together, getting people interested. We're going to run our first funnel soonish. Just a quick clarification. I haven't run a dungeon since 1979. I was 11. And I can't remember most of what I used to know, generally speaking, so I'm coming to DCC with a clean slate. In some of the monster stats people have listed, both hit points and hit dice. Why? Which one do I choose from? Uh, like the Beastman champion in Sailors of the Starless Sea, who's listed as hit die 2d8, hit points 8. Do they give the hit dice in case you want to beef <laughs> up the Beastmen? Great show, but where are all the girl gamers? Cheers, Noob Akan Eon. Well, we've got girls at our, in our group. Mine too. Um, so I, I just, I don't know. I'm just used to seeing hit dice and hit points both listed ever since the original monster manual. Is there a reason for that? Critical hits. Uh, oh, there you so, go. And also probably just so you have an idea of how tough it is for things like some mighty deeds and things like that effect are based on your hit dice. And uh turn on holy. There's another yeah, one. Good call. So in general, I think the hit points listed, I'll, I'll have to look again, but in most cases, I think they're just half of whatever the max of the hit die are. Yeah, I guess if the cleric wanted to heal the monster, he'd need to know the hit die too for the lay on hands. And there are cases where something like that might happen, as strange as it may be, so that you can question the uh, creature to find out things, for example. Yeah, that's a sinful use of cleric power. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you get a little disapproval, but... Oh, I know one thing. As soon as you think, well, a player would never do that, that's the next thing a player is going to do. Well, that's true. And I will say, feel free to bump those hit points up or down, depending on the group size. I know I bump them up frequently if I think the group is large. So just because it says hit points 8 there doesn't mean I'm necessarily going to run with that. I know it's 2d8, so you know I might make it 12 or 14, or if I'm going to, you know bad mood 16 uh <laughs> you know or and and vice versa if i'm on a if it's a night that we're running short and we've only got three or four people I, I might kick that down to six or something like that so i think it's a guideline so if you don't feel like rolling the number of hit points they state it clearly but you've got the hit dice there if as a gm you want to tweak a counter an encounter on the fly too so well, i like that answer because we're all the time uh talking about how you uh scale adventures up and down for different level characters there you go. You up and lower the hit die. Yep. And, and don't forget that every time you pick up an adventure and it's got that stat block in it, you can always use that stat block even if you don't use the description. So Right, yeah. You might end up rolling two dozen of them. Yeah, good point. Okay, well, as we have a guest, uh, I think that's all the emails we're going to do this week, but I want to send out an extra thanks to everybody who wrote all those wonderful emails this week. We're going to get to them, so we're just going to save the ones we didn't read. If uh, you'd like to contact us, you can write us at theband at spellburn.com or on our forums at osrgaming.org. So let's move on to the uh, feature portion of our show, Mighty Deeds. 
Wait a second. I have an idea. That's plenty for the both of us. I move for no man. <laughs> Ow. So, Daniel, again, welcome to Spellburn, and thank you for being on the show. Well, thank you. It is actually really great to be here. I listen to every single one as it comes out, and it always makes my day. Oh, <laughs> Butter up I'm, the crew. <laughs> no, well, it's it's completely true. If you know, if it's been a little while between podcasts, I get grumpy. What can I say? I'm addicted. Oh, thanks. That's good to hear. I have a mentor who taught me what to say on occasions like this. Wait a minute. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> um, can you tell our listeners something about uh, your gaming pedigree? Uh, when you started, what systems you've played? I started way back on Christmas Day in 1979 with the Blue Box Holmes, which is, I guess, for some listeners, probably not so long ago. And for other listeners, back in the Dark Ages. I moved from Holmes Basic to Advanced Dungeons and Dragons. In those days, you had like all those games were coming out, like Villains and Vigilantes and Gamma World, and moved through second edition into third edition. And then just started to bog down on third edition. And as they were dealing with fourth edition, started thinking, I should be writing my own rule set because this is becoming homework. And then luckily, Joseph Goodman came along and I didn't have to do that. So uh, what turned you on to DCCRPG? How did you find out about it and get into it? I was reading all of these pulps and trying to come up with a system that would actually mimic the pulp action. I was trying to come up with a system that did what the patron system does, but didn't do it as well. Like Joseph Goodman's system is better, I think, than what I was working on. Here is a system where suddenly I have to do less homework in order to set up an adventure. And it hits all those notes that I wanted to hit, which are the characters are both vulnerable, but capable of being above, like heroic. And I don't mean that in the white knight sense. I mean that in the Conan sense or the, or the characters you might read in Fritz Lieber or, you know, all of those Appendicien authors. It's just a fantastic system. Protagonist-oriented storytelling. Yeah, but the protagonists are, they're, they're pulpy. And, and it works in a way that, honestly, even those early D&Ds didn't quite get it as well, I think, as the system does. This is as excited as I have been about a game since I first cracked that blue box. That's awesome, because that's the whole reason we're doing this podcast, are those exact same feelings. That's yeah, I think really it strikes, cool. I think this, the DCC strikes that note for a lot of people. It's like it rekindles that feeling we all had when we first, however we got into the, the role-playing, it sort of rekindles that feeling of this is, this is cool, this is new, it's fresh. Uh, it's awesome. I was just going to say, and when you're running the game, you don't know what's going to happen. And that's so true. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> I, I try I try explain that to some of the uh, kids in the group who come straight from Pathfinder that it's a risk reward equation. With the higher level of risk, the rewards also raise up for you, because basically the currency of this game, what you win, is bragging rights of any role playing game, and just the sheer joy of going through it. Like that, I think it was in Dragon Roots. Well, I could be wrong that they had Tim Cask talking about the early D&D where it was saying it wasn't the destination, it was the ride. And that's what it is with this, right? Right on. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, yeah. It's, I agree with that. That's a nice summary. Uh, also, what, what you're saying about the pulpiness too. I mean, the, the, the mechanics are great and the art, you know, kind of evokes um, the older editions of D&D. 
Another thing I think that's really great about the old D&D adventures is that they're just they're really quirky and there's just kind of like just weird stuff that happens that that you might read in a, in a pulp novel. And, you know, with Pathfinder and, you know, uh, fourth edition of D&D and I'm sure the next edition of D&D, the adventures are very, uh, I don't know how to explain, it, like watered down to me. And like it's like someone sanded off all the rough edges and and um you know, like we're, we're going to deliver, you know, this generic fantasy experience. It's kind of like what happens to TV shows that run past four or five seasons. When the show starts out, it's about the ideas that the creators had for three or four or five seasons. And then there's a point where most TV shows start to become about themselves. Is that is that kind of what you're trying to say? Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, just plus, I don't know, just, you know, Pathfinder and just the art in fourth edition. It's I don't know. It's just. It's not for me. It's, you know, I like the quirky, you know, like Slavers uh, series, you know, when like, yeah, I can't remember which one. It's like A3 where there's like this elf wizard chick that lives in, in, in the like whatever it is, the dungeon. And she's got a guard and then she's got an exact clone of herself and she's trained the guard to make love to her. But the guard's in love with the clone of herself. And it's just like, what? <laughs> who wrote this? What was going on here? Uh, on the other hand, though, if you look at uh, a Pathfinder module like Carrion Hill, it's very Lovecraftian, and you can take that module and you can run it in DCC, and it will play very, very well. That's awesome. I really I want to focus on one thing you said that I that that we try and say all the time, but just can't be said enough. Dungeon Crawl Classics is really easy to run. It's oh, much, yeah. much. I mean, just in terms of, I mean. It's a natural reaction, and I had it myself. You pick up that book and go, holy cow, This you could kill somebody with this book. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And for many player characters, that's been true. <laughs> <laughs> but not, I mean, not cracking any systems, but I mean, they the stripped down uh, 3.5 mechanic and all the genius things uh, Joe built in there were like Mighty Deeds is, is, you know, all your skills are now one thing. You know that kind of that kind of uh, game writing is my favorite thing because I, being an old school gamer, prefer rules light. And DCC doesn't look like rules light, but in a sense, it really is. And it runs so fast. Well, it's it's almost got you know like some story game mechanics built into it, like you know like Mighty Deeds of Arms, which I mean a lot of the you know story gamers you know would harken back and say, well, this you know we we made story games because this is how we played D and D when we were eleven years old. Because the uh, zero level funnels and all the other characters eventually want to do a mighty deed of arms, have you guys come up with any way of dealing with that? For as level as zeros to do a mighty deed of arms? Yeah, I mean, like, obviously they're not going to do the same deed as Conan, but if your farmer wants to use his pitchfork to push the skeleton into the pit, how do you guys handle that? I usually just straight up strength check or, uh, you know, luck check or something. Yeah, I'm probably not very interesting about it. I'm probably very similar. Or I'll gauge it on the attack roll, and if it's like exceeds the armor class by... The more it exceeds, the more successful you are. So if you're trying to hit an AC 12 and you roll an 18, then you're going to, you know... Yeah, you you hit the skeleton and you knock him back type thing. That's probably about as formal as I've been with it. I'm uh, somewhat new to running DCC as a judge, but I ran a Game World campaign for like three decades and uh, and played a lot of AD&D and occasionally ran it. I'd, so I started the same year you did, uh, Daniel, and back I just do what we did back in then, which was a lot of uh, 
talking it through with the DM, whichever side of the screen I'm on. Because if, if I'm on the judge side of the screen and the player says something that makes sense and develops the story in an interesting way, there's, why do you have to roll a dice? You know, yes. Okay, you, you try that, it works. Have you tried that, Daniel? Or how's it worked at your table? Uh, my method is I have now what's known as the peasant deed which is just a d6. It doesn't add to your attack roll. It doesn't add to your damage. But if it comes up a six, you get the lowest level mighty deed. Okay. I like yeah. that. Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah, that, it, it, yeah I know. Writing, we're all down right now. Hang on. Okay. Scrolling down the ideas we're stealing from Daniel. Yeah, that's, <laughs> you a, that's got an what awesome. You know? <laughs> okay, well, too, but it, we're still early in. I'm sure there'll be more. No, that's good, though. I, I mean, I've, I've seen people talk about, like, on G+, and, and on forums about how... My thief want you know the player thief in my game wants to do a mighty deed you know why why can't they you know and help me help me come up with some way to do it. Well, I, I find that to be relatively robust without taking away from the warrior and the dwarf, who get a better deed basically. Yeah, no, that's a great idea. It's pretty genius. Yeah. Okay, well, Daniel, I here's here's the question I've been dying to ask. It, what happened to you in your life that made you decide to give up financial security and peace of mind and all the normal things normal people want and decide to become a game writer and, and run your own game company? Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. It's, I don't have my own game company or anything like that. I have financial security. <laughs> I haven't given up anything. I just do it on the side. <laughs> I'm joking, but... Oh, good. <laughs> because, I, I mean, I, I just got lucky, actually, when... Um, what got you into the lucrative field of writing adventure games for fantasy role-playing? Way back when they canceled the print version of Dragon, C.E. Rocco, who at that time was on N-World, wanted to put out a print magazine called Dragon Roots, which he's still working on, and he asked me to write something for him. And as far as I know, they just came up with the four print issues, but I've got something in all of them, including two adventures, and those were for uh, third edition. And then... A period of time lapsed, and I was on the Goodman Games Forum, and Mark Geddick at Purple Duck was looking for somebody who would be willing to do a little bit of adventure writing. So I said, what the hell, why not? Seven adventures later. Is this seven now? I, uh, I took a while. Oh, guess. yeah, seven with, uh, seven with Purple Duck, yeah. Yeah, we're keeping count. Oh, there's more coming. <laughs> <laughs> I figured. I've got... Four that I'm actually working on for Purple Duck right now. So I have to ask: Are they campaign elements or the adventure locale ones? Uh, one is a campaign element, which is Silent Nightfall, which was announced in the last one. Two of them are Fairy Tales from Unlit Shores, which is Prince Charming Reanimator, a zero-level funnel, and Creeping Beauties of the Woods, which is sort of a sequel for level one characters. And that is an intent to actually have an arc from level one to level five. Oh, nice. People ask about that a lot. Well, there you go. It's on its way, slowly but surely. You heard it here first, folks. And those you're doing for Purple Duck. And I'm also working on an adventure locale for them, and I've got other stuff for other people that I'm working on, too. So they keep me busy. Well, what's the top secret stuff you're not allowed to talk about? What's that project all about? Um, if you got the or have ordered the print versions of the Brave Halfling stuff, you might find my name inside a very, very short little bit that I did for them. Ah, I see. I just recently got my hands on Angel Demons and Beings Between, and I'm, I'm quite a fan of that. Cool. That's that, that We use that as an answer to about a third of the emails we get. Yeah. <laughs> <Well>. <laughs> yep. It is a frequent answer. 
Really? Yeah, well, people, a lot of people looking for patrons and things like that. So, you know, that's one of the, the certainly one of the premier resources to go to outside of the core rulebook for more patrons and, and, and such. So, yeah, that one is uh, crying out for a sequel. So, if you're too lazy to crack the books and create your own patron, here's a whole book you can get. And it's got all kinds of good stuff in it, not just stuff I wrote. There's a lot of stuff that Paul Wolf wrote, which is which is quite good. The hand and arm of, I don't want to try and pronounce the name, Vendel Ray. Yeah, that's the one that the, I seem to remember the graphic of that one's the arms coming out of the wall, and it's like just the arm and stuff, right? Yeah, great idea. I wish I'd come up with it. Yeah, I thought that was pretty cool. I, people have heard me before. I'm a huge fan of several of your modules. I've used lots of them in, in my games. Uh, Bone Horde of the Dancing Horror was still one of my favorites that we've played. I mean, t- tell us a little bit more about that particular module, because that was sort of the ones that sticks out to me. And I believe that was your first one for Purple Duck Games, correct? That was my first thing that I ever wrote for DCC, period. Not even a home adventure or anything like that. That was just... You know, I had been using adapted modules a little bit in when what was available at the time from Goodman Games. But the advice in the rulebook, you know, to make monsters mysterious was good. And that's what I tried to do. Jeffrey ran his players from one end of the dungeon to the other with that thing. That's I did. That, yeah, that was one of the ones where uh, they were shutting doors and trying... Another case where my players have tried to flee a dungeon is is Bone Horde of the Dancing Horde. And that was actually run as a one-shot, which made it even more impressive. Because most of the time in one-shots, folks don't care if their characters <laughs> die. But in this particular case, there was a particular creature in there that they were shutting doors and trying to avoid running into that beast at all costs and eventually made their way out of the place avoiding final combat with that particular creature so uh i thought that was well done and i think that's another thing that made it stick out that dcc so cool was uh players running away from stuff i just didn't get that in pathfinder much <laughs> and yeah, here well, in dcc it was you know and it, you know you're, that was the first third party module i'd run for dcc too so it went pretty well for that well that's the death throws right yes yeah you're the author you're allowed to spoil your own module if you want to <laughs> But my players actually have not gone through that, and they absolutely refuse to. There is a scene in another module where there is a pile of bones, or they're walking through things with a pile of bones, and they thought that they had stumbled into Bone Horde of the Dancing Horror because they had heard of it. (laughs) (laughs) Just wait a second. I'm not going through this. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. The module players won't play. That's good marketing. I have a question then, because uh, when uh, it's our group consensus that Sailor of the Startled Seas is iconic for character funnels, uh, but uh, when when we talked to Harley about it, Harley himself considered it uh, because it was his first module for DCC RPG. He considered it a transitional work in terms of tone and style. It's very much the same thing with Bone Horde. I mean, it's 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 gained quite a bit of notoriety. How do you feel about it? I mean, you seem very in step with the DCC vibe. Well, it's what I was working on before that was similar in feel. It just wasn't exactly the same in the rules. So that was kind of a help when I was trying to work on my own system. So how do I feel about Bonehorde now? It's I would have made it probably if I was making it now even worse. <laughs> I want that edition. <laughs> 
so still sort of focusing on, you've got a, a lot of products written to several different companies, but before we leave the Purple Duck Games products, for some of our listeners, they may not be as familiar with the difference between an adventure locale module and a campaign elements. Could you just describe a little bit, you know, if someone's new to Purple Duck Games and some of your writing, why one might choose an adventure locale and when you might choose a campaign elements and maybe even expand a bit on, on the campaign elements? Cause I'm, I'm a fan of both lines, but... Okay, um, the adventure locales are literally intended to be placeable or in any campaign with, they say, minimum prep, though, if you've read my stuff and you have, you know that I tend to push the minimum prep because I want to make use of the mechanics as well as I can. But they're all, basically, they're adventures, right? Yep. The campaign elements, on the other hand, are intended to be places and offer things that you will go back to over the course of the campaign because there are things there that you can do or get that you can't carry away. So, for example, if there is a potential patron in there, hopefully you gain good use out of the thing throughout an entire campaign. Black Goat, for example, has a patron. In Folk of Osman, there are suggestions for making use of the material through a number of levels. Surrey Moral, there is an oracle that I put there which could lead into multiple adventures again. So basically the campaign element is if you wanted to set up a campaign with uh, places that the players are likely to go into again and again and again because they're able to choose where they go, that's particularly what they were focused on because that's the kind of game I tend to run. And I think those campaign elements have hit pretty well. I've, I've used Falcade Idols. For those that have listened, have probably heard me say there's still stuff from that particular module haunting my players. So they may not know that 100% sure yet, but they certainly know it's not quite wrapped up uh, yet. And also another one that my players ran away from. So, uh, <laughs> Well, I was going to say, actually, that's the addition that, uh, that you were asking about where I got a little bit meaner than in uh, Bone Horde. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, so it, 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 it was great because that is another case where my players r- ran away from that particular place as well. I found the campaign elements very useful, uh, largely from because so much of DCC is about quest for it. It's not, no, you can't do it. It's quest for it. Now, as a GM or a judge, you know, maybe short on time or something like that, that's all well and good. You like to be able to say yes to your players, but it has been difficult prior to some of these campaign elements to shoot, I want to tell them the quest for it, but that means I'm going to have to develop this whole little thing to do. Whereas now, I sort of just flip through my campaign elements and, oh, so I need them to be able to do this. And then I just tweak a little bit, and and next thing you know, I've got a new patron to go see or a new individual or a new area to go get this information or learn this new spell or remove this curse or something like that. So I found the campaign elements very helpful in my games. I mean, I love the adventure locales too, and I think they've lived up to the modularity of, of being able to drop them into your campaign world as you see fit so those have been strong too but the campaign elements is just as a judge has really helped me i think craft my game a little bit better to the point that i have quests now that i can just oh grab this one off the shelf cool this is what you need to go do to go get this taken care of or you need this new spell or you want increased stamina and you, you know so I've, I've been the campaign elements have been great i've only run the falcade idol but i've got my eyes on a you have a little black goat or folk of Osmond for something else coming up soon. So pretty strong. I, I like them. Well, I, I appreciate your kind words. Well, here comes some more. Cause I got to say, Daniel, um, I mean, I'm friends with, uh, Michael Curtis. Uh, I know Harley fairly well. And the two things that impresses me about those guys as writers is how prolific they are. 
but I mean, if all if the entirety of third party support f for uh, Dungeon Crawl Classics was just stuff you've written, there's like a year's worth of stuff you could use in your, your campaign. <laughs> yeah, and more coming. Don't don't worry. The well was a little bit uh, dry recently, simply because other stuff in life, you know, jumped up and hit me. But there's a lot more coming. Well, we're all creative types. We get it totally. Which is why we're never going to ask the dumb questions like, where do you get your ideas from? <laughs> I steal them. No. <laughs> I had wrote that down. That was my next question, Jim. <laughs> that's, 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 what, that's what Picasso said. You know, I, I hate to say it, but the random esoteric creature generator has supplied me with when I was low uh good plan for creatures it's a great resource the tables right in the back of the dcc core rule book have supplied tons of ideas and uh the dungeon alphabet i mean not even not in a literal sense you because we did it once on the show where we're, we weren't creating a, a dungeon we just needed an idea and flipped through that book to a random page and got an idea from it yeah it's a great book it's on my shelf too yeah, that piece of junk. Come on, that's not, that's old. <laughs> the monster alphabet is I've been hearing a lot about. Recently. I'm looking forward to it. C is for centaur, comma four-legged, earth-corrupting, magic-wielding. Oh, I you know that might be in there already. <laughs> I'm just bucking for something better than a general store. Sorry. Oh, Joe put me in a, one of his modules at Wampler's general store. <laughs> well, you know, so I'm I'm, I'm just a gr groupie trying to work his way up to Rody. That's all. Oh, well, I'll take up on that challenge, too. Okay. <laughs> You'll be sorry I did. People, players will be running from the Wampler. The Relp Maw. Relp Maw. <laughs> That's actually uh, good. I was a little worried after not GMing for a few years, but uh, I was just doing the sound these radioactive zombies made in the game the other night, and the whole table leaned in and got spooked. I'm like, okay, well, this wasn't as hard as I remember then. I'm looking forward to uh, to your secret project coming out. So when's that coming out? Uh, that I don't know. I know when my due date is, but that's about it. So you've done some other stuff for like uh, Mystic Bowl games and obviously yes. Angels, Demons, and Beings Between. There's Dragon Sword Publishing. But in the prison of the Squid Sorcerer, can you tell us just a little bit about that? I've read it. Tried to run a, an adventure from it for my group, but they sort of bypassed by as they want to do every once in a while. Uh, tell us a little bit how uh, how a judge could fit in Prison of the Squid Sorcerer, what it is, because it's a little bit different than some of the other products that, that you've done to a degree. That's actually a product where there are a lot of authors involved. I've got two pieces in there, and they're all relatively short things that you could put into another adventure when you need it almost if you want to think of it that way like the campaign elements series it's a bunch of stuff that you could throw at the wall and see what sticks yeah that's sort of how i was trying to use it when i used it was i, I they were my group was traveling from one place to another and i dropped in a little side quest should they choose to take it and Again, they don't trust me, so it seemed to uh, no. <laughs> We're just going to keep walking by that mysterious thing because we don't trust you. <laughs> um, that's that's kind of how I've used it too. But if you have yeah. a dwarf, all you need to do is put the smell of gold somewhere. Oh, <laughs> well, you have got that right. Yep, that is true. The magic smelling gold. I don't know what it is about that mechanic. You could say there's gold over that hill. Now we're not interested. But if that dwarf smells gold over that hill, they're going. It, yep. It's funny, but, you know, I've discovered going back to when I first started playing games that if you end your description with 
and there's some gold on the floor. It doesn't matter what horrible, obvious, this is a trap things you've described. There are players who will always go and try and get that gold. <laughs> and that's so funny. That just came up last night in Adventure I was running. It was like there, there's this thing, and all I had to do was say, and there's gold coins. And suddenly you could see the interest pick up, and it's like, okay, we need to get that. <laughs> well, I know this is so true. I know Job lives by that principle because he, I watched him TPK the same party twice, thanks to a little <laughs> time travel with that trick. Well, this is a game, though, too, where treasure actually has meaning. So, you know, there's no wealth per level guidelines. If you don't get what's available, you're not going to get it. That's the end of it. Yeah. That, that's how I like to GM. I like to, hey, here's this horrible thing that's going to happen to you. Would you do it for this amount of gold? For this magic <laughs> item? What What's going to seduce you into doing something really stupid? It's it's not like I'm <laughs> like the Einstein of players or anything like that, but you described an entire cavern with more gold than you could carry out with a chest right in front where you can carry it out, and then a giant lake. And eight players... I watched them go around the table. I'm sitting at a table where everybody can get in men's and they're like, Oh, I'm going in there and grabbing as much as I can one after the other. In sailors of the starless sea, I was amazed how few players decided to have their characters end up grabbing stuff at the end and dying as a result. Oh yeah. 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 Right. Gotcha. Down in the pit. I'm sure you know the encounter sticking around too long. Yeah. It's tough talking about stuff like that and not giving away things. You can edit anything I give away out. Well, you know, spoilers for something that came out last year. I don't know. Yeah, Sailors is yeah, one okay. of those we sort of talk about openly because it's like it's been out so long. And some of the other – like the Sea Queen stuff, I try not to spoil because it hasn't been out too long. But uh, Sailors, we're sort of we, – we get pretty liberal with it sometimes. Kids, if you haven't played it, you want to definitely touch the tentacles as soon as you see them. Touch them. <laughs> <laughs> Judges everywhere cheer. I'm not sure that that's ever good advice. <laughs> So, Daniel, I wanted to ask, how did uh, your free RPG day um, adventure come about, the uh, Imperishable Sorceress? Um, Well, Joseph Goodman asked me if I would like to write something, and I said, yes. So (laughs) what am I going to say? Are you a god? Yes. Yes, exactly. You're not going to say no. Probably, I'm, I'm imagining, because of the other things that I'd written had gotten good reviews. Well, that's, did you like pitch multiple things or? No, I just pitched the one thing. Oh wow! I got to tell you, that's a great adventure. I showed up on Free RPG Day expecting to play Tower Out of Time, and and was just heartbroken that the GM was running Imperishable Saucers instead until we started playing it, and then I was all in. Oh well, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Sorry you were heartbroken. Um, <laughs> it was just well, one of those things. There, there were like there's there's back and forth with. Uh, as I'm sure you know, Job, with uh, with Joseph, where you'll take your basic idea and say, well, what about this? What about that? So it's a good adventure, partly because there was a lot of good feedback in the writing process. Oh, yeah, definitely. I've gotten some good feedback. It was very craftily constructed so that certain things, again, without getting into spoilers, since this one is for sale, for people that weren't on free RPG day, you know, just very well crafted so that certain inevitable things happen, no matter what the players do, they're going to end up at point a and point B and then it's awesome. Oh, well, thank you. Uh, I don't know if that was a craft or luck, but it seemed to work. So (laughs) our group's pretty rowdy and it proved to be off the rails proof with my group. And they came up with a solution to the problem that they were presented. 
Yes, and and managed to uh, get a complete failure on an invoke patron spell that the poor it wasn't me for a change. The poor bastard who invoked it tanked the roll. I mean, spell burned like crazy and then tanked the roll, and, uh, and we were counting on that to deal with the thing at the end, and uh, we dealt with it anyway. So we were feeling pretty good about that. But man, I mean, players on the edge of their seat, really good stuff. That's that's absolutely all I'd ever want to hear from. Uh, thank you. And you've started to do some conversions for Goodman Games too, I believe, right? At least one. You got a second one two. in the works or something? Two, 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 uh, two conversions. So um, Black how, how Pearl and, and, yeah. and oh, this is terrible. Tower of the well Black of the Pearl and Well of the Worm. And Well of the Worm. Both Harley so, Stroll modules. So how nice those conversion that, work because oh, I, thank I, you. I I couldn't see the seams. Oh, yeah, I just slapped a DCC logo on it, and that was done. <laughs> no. <laughs> that was uh, a real pleasure to work with. It was nice to work with Harley's material. It's top-notch stuff. So so we do get questions on, on converting various things, not always from 3.5, but sometimes from uh, you know, the D&D, AD&D, or something like that. But there's quite a catalog of DCC RPG adventures, or DCC adventures, previously written for 3.5. So can you tell us a little bit about the experiences in converting it? Tips for maybe somebody? Uh, probably a lot of us would try to do it on the fly. So just what kind of tips would you have for converting one of the older 3.5 adventures? And you even mentioned some of the Pathfinder stuff. What kind of tips do you have for converting some of that stuff into DCC for people that have a large catalog of old adventures for different editions that might be fun to play in DCC? Um, first thing is don't be afraid to try it because you can't mess up too bad. It's a good system. It's, it's very uh, resilient. Consider more how you're going to describe things than the stats. Like when you guys did the owl bears, for example, with all of the different descriptions, the same thing's true for all of those monsters and all of those modules. If it's not obvious that it's an Odia, then, or however you guys pronounce that, then you can call it whatever you want to call it. You can make it look like something out of... Uh, I can't think of the name of the uh, Lovecraft story that takes place beyond the mountains in the Antarctic, but... Mountains of Madness. Thank you, at the Mountains of Madness. You can absolutely change what anything looks like, and you don't have to do a lot of stat work in order to make that work. People really shouldn't be afraid of conversions because you're saying more or less stats aren't so important. It's just change the descriptions. A lot of changing the descriptions. Some things you might want to do major stat work on, like I've done the Albuquerque Spaceport, which is oh, a I gamma love world that module. module, and it is a fantastic DCC module. Boy, you are talking my language now, sir. <laughs> you just have to do a little bit of stat work and try and figure out how the uh, how the treasures work, right? Mm-hmm. Go to the Albuquerque Starport, and at the end, you end up on the pur- Purple Planet. Um, unfortunately, Purple Planet's not out yet, so on my online group, they ended up on Mars. In my uh, home group, in uh, my home group, they ended up in the main hall to face the Cinder Claws because it was a Christmas adventure. Did they end up on Mars or Barsoom? Um, they don't know that yet, so I can't answer. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but needless to say, there's more than one version of Mars in Appendice N. Oh, Yes. <laughs> there's a Michael Moorcock Mars. There is a well. You step on this carpet. Oops! It rolled you up. Now you're on Mars. CL. Well, I used a when the uh, shuttle explodes at the end. I had it open up a conduit through space and time. Do you have uh, any plans to be at GaryCon? Uh, where is GaryCon? 
uh, be this uh, last weekend in March in Lake Geneva, Wisconsin. Um, I hadn't had plans, but as far as I know, I don't have plans either. So, like other plans to be anywhere else, it's possible. Do you go to any cons during the year? Is there some kind of like, you know, ice con or something that they have up there? In Canada? <laughs> to, to be honest, I have not been to a convention, a gaming convention in years, but I should start doing that again now. Well, I, I asked the question for entirely selfish and self-absorbed reasons, just because here, listen, you talk, I want to game with you. So that was that's all that's about. But if uh, I were to do a brief pitch for Gary Khan, it's everything you love about the conventions you've been to, except it's condensed down to where it's four or five hundred people and every fifth person worked at TSR. So oh, it's really cool. Really, it's really uh, friendly and comfortable and just, I mean, uh there was a guy running Marvel superheroes dressed full board Gene Simmons as Kiss, his Kiss character, the Demon. That kind of stuff happens there. That's cool. Jim. Yes. If 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 um, my spousal unit was going to kick me in the family jewels for uh, the right to go to Gary Con or North Texas RPG Con, which one should I choose? Oh, you're putting me in a very difficult position, sir. Gary Con, because I'm more likely to be there than in TRPG Con. <laughs> you should look carefully at your luck score and burn enough luck to go to both. Yeah, that's uh, that's the ultimate answer. But of yeah, course, then you won't have happening. any luck when you get there. So, unless you're a thief or a halfling, <laughs> which well, might an... be after the kick. I can add a little temptation to Gary Khan. I don't think Michael will shoot me for saying this. There's uh, a tradition we formed of a non-scheduled Wednesday night when we all first get their Gamma World game that he runs, which is what got me thinking about you, Daniel, since you're talking about the Albuquerque Starport. And then we're, we start, it started out because I stuck a joke in one of the Marvin comics about Michael doing that. And he's like, well, I guess I'll have to actually do it now. And now we're going to do it every year. So, uh, you know, if you're, if you're in good with Michael, I, I bet you could uh, squirrel an invite to that. Well, there's a reasonable chance I actually have uh, family in Wisconsin. So You'd really like it. Well, I have marked it down and I will do uh, due diligence and try and make it if I can. If, uh, if, if kids and better half permit absolutely no and th- on this podcast we try not to do anything to cause wife aggro well yeah we only have to edit out job's wife banging on the door a couple times in episode. <laughs> <laughs> why'd you say that now he's got to edit that out for real sometimes we actually go a you will do me uh, do me a big favor if you edit out the wife thing completely and just use partner or something like that because <laughs> i'll get it <laughs> I'll show up if you do. <laughs> <laughs> done and done, sir. Yeah, it, okay. it, for listeners of the, listeners of the show, if you ever hear knocking, that's that I didn't edit out. That's my wife at the end of the show after it's been about ninety minutes of three kids screaming and throwing uh, goldfish at her head or starting fires. We're just yeah. Oh God, yeah. You know, a bunch of geek grognard gamers get on and start doing a podcast. Sometimes we don't know the show's running too long until we hear the vacuum cleaner at Job's house, and then we know. <laughs> so, before we leave the conversion conversation completely <laughs> uh, and get Job and uh, Daniel in more trouble, spells in in your conversions. How do you handle those? Because spell is probably you know the magic is probably one of the bigger differences between the two. Do you do anything? Sp- 
special? Do you write random tables, or do you just, you know, this is the effect you're going to get when you cast a spell? How do you handle spell conversions? And well, it depends upon what I'm trying to do. Yeah, on one case, if it's just an NPC that can cast a spell, well, NPCs are different anyway. If you look in the back of the book, they might have a saving throw that's involved, or they might be able to cast that spell so many times per day, or whatever. So often, keep it simple. There is a wonderful issue of Crawl, the magic issue, that has a quick guide for turning any of those spell effects into a more random effect. And that's oh, quite I've got useful. that issue. It yeah, is cool. it's, a, it's great. And then finally, if I am imagining that this is a spell that a player character will get his hands on, well, then it has to be given the full treatment. Okay. <laughs> yes. The full but treatment. That's, but that's fun. <laughs> That's, 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 it's more, I mean, it's actually probably the creation of spells I find is the most work in the game for actually like prep when you're doing, um, patrons or other things coming up with those spells is the most work, but it's also creative and it's a lot of fun. I'm in, I'm hip deep in that right now. And holy cow, it is a lot of work. Uh, you know, you, you guys are all writers. When you're having a great day and the muses are talking to you, which is where my ideas come from, they just appear. Bang, 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 bang. It's great. And then you, you, you have that day where you're like, I just don't have one more uh, spell check in me. <laughs> <laughs> what yeah, what I, happens I, if you roll 32 plus? Uh, same thing happened at 29. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I have lots of respect for uh, angels, demons, and beings between. I, I wrote uh, a patron... Uh, one of the patrons out of Purple Sorcerer's stuff, and wow, it's like like Jim says when the muse is speaking, works great. But boy, you know, it's there's a fair amount of words that go into getting that created. Yeah, well, there are, but it's cool. Yeah, it is fun. I'm glad you brought up Crawl uh, Fanzine though, because we've talked about your stuff at Purple Duck Games, Mystic Bull Games, Dragon Horde Publishing, and Goodman Games. But you've got some stuff coming up in Crawl too, right? Uh, yeah, I did a magic wand spell for them once, and a couple of little bits of spot art. But I have a zero-level funnel coming up, the Arwitch Grinder. Ooh, I like anything with Grinder in it. Assuming uh, approval, of course. Knock on wood, hopefully that's not uh, not going to be an issue. It is a Lovecraftian, horrible, horrible, horrible it's we remember when you're saying what would you do if you're writing bone horde now and I'd make it worse well that's worse nice I'm no and not nice at sure. all oh well <laughs> you had me <laughs> at the first which side of the screen you sit on <laughs> you had me but at the fun. first horrible I, I i would like to go into what it's about but yeah yeah no i don't want to ruin any part of it yeah no that's cool. but um i think that you will be happy with it and I think that your players will be happy with it. But if they have read H.P. Lovecraft, they will be nervous into some things. Let's put it that way. It's interesting that you have married those two genres because I was trying to get Michael Curtis one day. He loves Call of Cthulhu, and I've just never gotten that game. I want to, you know, kill the monsters and take their loot and have some magic spells. That's that's, And I'm good. And I'm like, I just don't under... I've read Lovecraft. I don't get how you can write an entertaining RPG about that and his uh, explanation to me was Call of Cthulhu is a character funnel that never ends and you know you're going to die that's how you have fun and then I got it I'm like okay character funnel I enjoy that I get it so you've combined the two um, yeah and I think you'll have fun and I really am trying to not say things that I shouldn't say ahead of time 
Well, can you tell us, uh, it, it, is, it, is it scheduled for a specific issue yet, or that's all just still in the works? I believe it's either the next issue or the one after that. Listeners, stay tuned and, and buy every issue of Crawl anyway, and you'll be sure. Well, you should anyway. Every issue that I have, I've made great use of. Extra equipment list, very useful. They actually sell that uh, fanzine at my local gaming store, right on the shelf. That's awesome. Yeah, that yeah. is very cool. Well, Daniel, it's uh, it's been fantastic having you here. Thank you so much for coming. Uh, please come back again. I would be more than happy to. You guys are great. Yeah, definitely. It's been great having you on. You, you definitely have a voice for radio. Oh, thank you. I, I was video chatting with him earlier, and he's got a face for radio, too. <laughs> 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 I joke, I'm kidding. <laughs> okay, hands up. Who doesn't have blue hair that's here? Um what? Not me. Oh yeah, you got Not rid- anymore. you got rid of your blue hair. Never mind. Con hair. Oh no, no, sorry. No blue hair. Well we will when we post this episode be putting up links to all the companies and games that we've talked about that uh feature Daniel's uh products and writing. Um and uh, perhaps a picture of Daniel, if we can get our hands on one. That can be arranged. Um, no no need to wear a bandana or a leather jacket. That's not required. <laughs> Are you sure? I thought that if was you, uniform. Oh, no, if you want to, go for it. <laughs> that would be hilarious. That would be funny. Um, I will have to. Yeah, actually, I've got a leather jacket. And I have a bandana, so I can do that. <laughs> that would be great. Honorary band member. Well, on that note, I guess we'll uh, wrap it up. Uh, Remember, never split the party unless the party is already split. Go away. Goodbye. See you, everyone. Nothing to see here. Are you still here? It's over. Spellbird Podcast is a production of Wild Games Productions in association with D20Radio.com. The Spellburn theme music is provided by the band Glitter Wizard. You can find them at glitterwizard.bandcamp.com. The Spellbird Podcast does not endorse the purposeful aggro of wives, husbands, children, significant others, partners, or loud dogs, hardly. So please, if you're still listening at this point, stop and go spend some time with your family. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Spellburn. Right in the day.